0: This evening, the Old Covenant reading is Psalm 90. We'll be reading the entire psalm this evening. Psalm 90, the Word of the Lord. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. We have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass under your wrath. We, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The New Covenant reading this evening comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14, also the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us, believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Please turn with me once again back to Psalm
1: 90, because this will be the primary portion of God's word for our evening sermon. Your life matters to God. Your life matters to God, and yet sadly, even many Christians squander the time and the opportunities that the Lord is giving to us, and all you have to do to waste your life is nothing. Let me say that again. All you have to do to waste your life is nothing. Regretfully, for all the wonderful blessings that we enjoy here in New England in the modern world, modern American life is virtually conspiring to get you to waste your life on things that are urgent, things that are easy, but not on things that are ultimately of great significance. For one thing, we are almost never out of touch anymore which means that we are almost never alone with our own thoughts to contemplate the bigger issues of life, to contemplate those bigger issues of life before our God. Even your prayers are sometimes interrupted by phone calls or, or, or a little ding that lets you know that somebody has sent you a message. First we programmed our devices. Now our devices are programming us. Even when we have time, most of us now default to thinking about the urgent rather than reflecting upon that which is truly most important. Um, I suspect that many of us would be embarrassed to count up all the times that we look at our phones or at an iPad or our computer screens during the day, even apart from work. The truth is, the technology of these smartphones is absolutely amazing it allows us to do extraordinary things that were almost unimaginable just 30 years ago. But it also encourages us to constantly be looking at screens and responding to immediate, but not that often significant, stimuli. As one wit has put it, smartphones put the accumulated wisdom and knowledge of all mankind into our hands, and we use them to play Candy Crush and to argue with people on Facebook whom we've never even met. Well, I trust this evening that um, not, not many of you, and perhaps not any of you, have gone quite that far. But let me ask you a question. What do you do when you're suddenly alone? You know, you're out to lunch with someone or out to dinner and they excuse themselves and they go to the restroom. What do you do when they go to the restroom? Now, if you're like most people, what you do is you reach for your smartphone. See, even for those few minutes, we don't want to be alone just with our own thoughts. We want to check on the latest thing that is going on. And it isn't just our phones. You get in your car to drive, And instinctively, you turn on the radio or the CD player. And that's great. Um, But you're never alone with your own thoughts. And you rarely take time to simply commune with the Lord, to step back and look at the big picture of your life. Now, each individual slice of this pie is just fine. right? All those things, as isolated events, there's nothing wrong with them. We, after all, should occasionally enjoy some entertainment, checking on just one other thing at work, and so on. But what happens to us when we are constantly checking on little things or engaging in small amusements, and that comes to dominate the way that we live? The tyranny of the urgent presses upon all of us, often without us giving it much thought. And we easily end up spending nearly all of our time on what is urgent or easy, but which ultimately doesn't really matter all that much. Psalm 90, this great psalm of Moses, is an antidote to our current situation. In tonight's passage, Moses calls us to number our days, to take the time that we are allotted on earth seriously In light of three great pillars of truth, these three pillars connect the reality of who God is with the reality of human experience. First, God is eternal, yet human life is fleeting. Second, God is holy, yet we are sinful. And third, because God is gracious, disciples are blessed. Let me give you those three pillars once again. God is eternal, yet human life is fleeting. God is holy, yet we are sinful. And third, because God is gracious, disciples are blessed. We begin with the everlasting greatness of our God. Look at verses one and two with me. Lord, you have been our dwelling place In all generations, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I'd like to start this evening with verse 2. Now some of you heard me mention this before. Um, It's one of my many quirks, but I don't particularly like the way that we talk about God being everywhere present. That is the doctrine of omnipresence. Uh, We usually talk about omnipresence in terms of God being everywhere all the time. And that's absolutely true. But my problem with talking about it that way is it can make us think that everywhere, that is the created universe, is somehow more basic than God, and God fills that up. But that's not true at all. That's a total misunderstanding of the nature of reality. As Moses puts it, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Uh, It's not hard for us to remember, beloved, that there was a time when you and I were not. There was a time when the mountains were not. There was a time when the entire universe was not. But there has never been a time when God hasn't simply been. God and God alone has the power of existence in himself. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you Our God. It is the majestic otherness of God who has the power of being in Himself which makes verse 1 so remarkable. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. What is a dwelling place? I mean, what is a home? Well, at least ideally, a home is a place where you belong, where you feel secure, right? It's a place of shelter from the normal storms of life. Now, regrettably, not everybody experiences home like that. But perhaps even those who fail to have enjoyed that in their earthly homes can appreciate the blessing of God providing a secure home for us even more. But see, the astonishing thing that Moses is saying is, God doesn't simply provide us with a secure home. God doesn't simply provide us with a place where we belong, where we are loved. God is our secure and everlasting home. In Christ, we have life in God, and we belong with him and in him forever. Why should we be overwhelmed when mere creatures stand against us, when the eternal God himself is our secure and everlasting home? As we pray in the words of Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roam and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. See, the first thing we need to do to live wisely in this world, to cause our lives to matter as God wants your life to matter, is we must know who God is. And we begin with a sense of awe, both for the Lord's eternal greatness... And also because in spite of the Lord's eternal greatness and our all smallness by comparison, he has set his steadfast love upon us and you belong in him and with him forever. Of course, living wisely so that our lives matter requires us not only to know who God is and what he is like, It requires us to know who man is and what we are like. Verses three through six. You return to dust. I'm sorry, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight, or but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. See, our lives here on earth stand in stark contrast to God. God always has been. God always will be. Because God simply is. He exists in and of himself. We, by contrast, although we now have eternal life in God, our lives here on this earth, they're fleeting. They're but a moment, right? Moses compares them to the, the grass that just springs up and gets scorched by the sun, and then it's gone. They're not longstanding. Now, here's one of the ways that our culture is conspiring to cause us to waste our lives. Our culture is conspiring to convince us that our earthly life is not fleeting. And truth be told, it's an easy message to buy into. What do you do when you get sick? Uh, You get sick and most of us, including me, we go see our doctors, which we should. It's a wonderful blessing. But with the extraordinary medical technology that we enjoy here in the greater Boston area, when I go to my doctor, I'm expecting they're going to fix whatever's wrong with me and they're going to restore me to something like excellent health. And, you know, I still think this way even though I've been sick for three straight months, right? Because it's just how we've been impressed with the blessings of this technology and the skills of the doctors. Now, it's good that we're grateful for that. On the other hand, we might just be kidding ourselves. Because in spite of the advances in medical technology, the ratio of births to deaths is stubbornly close to one. And it will be until Christ comes again. And No matter how well we eat, how much we exercise, or how many times people tell us that 60 is the new 40, Moses is absolutely right. Our lives on earth are fleeting. In light of eternity, our days pass with just a blink of the eye. See, when we think of this in terms of God's perspective, even a thousand years in God's sight are just just like a a blink of the eye. They're like a short watch in the night that a soldier might need to stand. They're, They're here today, they're gone. And our lives don't even come close to being a thousand years. It doesn't always look that way, but appearances can be deceiving. Um, Have you ever watched a video of a great dam that breaks and the water rushes out? Or even more dramatically, I think of the tsunami that hit Japan uh, in 2011. If you look at the pictures of the the coast of Japan, you see some of the buildings there. I mean, some of them were kind of huts or looked more like they were vacation homes. You could imagine they're not going to be here forever some of those buildings you're thinking that they're going to be here for a hundred years and then a single tsunami hits with a massive wall of water and it just washes it all away god through moses is saying you know your life is like that not that your life's not significant the whole point of the psalm is your life matters to god but it's fleeting and you are not promised tomorrow you know this morning i i Uh, mentioned that one of the people that um, passed away this week was Harry Reader, a very prominent pastor in the PCA. You know, he was just going out for a drive. He got in a car accident. There was no anticipation at all. Well, thankfully, he knew this truth, and he trusted in the Lord. And in a moment, his life on earth was done, but his life in eternity before Christ was just beginning Moses is saying that our lives are like this. They're fleeting. We may feel at the moment like we will live forever, but our lives will be washed away in a moment. Like when a great flood sweeps everything from its path. We are like the grass that springs up and is scorched by the sun, which gets withered before the night falls. Here's the question you have to ask yourself. Whose lives are like this? Beloved, the answer is, all of our lives are like this. See, Moses isn't writing this for other people. This is true about us. As Isaiah puts it, all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. The fleeting nature of our lives becomes easier and easier to grasp as we get older. Yet this passage is meant for young and old alike. The Lord wants us to grasp the fleeting nature of our lives. Not because he wants us to think that our lives are insignificant. He wants us to grasp the fleeting natures of our lives so that we don't waste them, so that we take advantage of the opportunities that He has given us right now and in the present. God's message is quite simple: Don't waste your life. You don't have to squander your days with wild partying or drug abuse in order to waste your life. All you need to do to waste your life is to live it apart from trusting in Jesus Christ and apart from having Almighty God as your secure and everlasting home. Beloved, the Lord is saying to you this evening, don't waste your life. I have something so much better for you I am calling you to a life which will matter both in this present age and for all of eternity. Now, some of you I undoubtedly noticed I skipped over verse 3. I did that intentionally. I did so because I want you to connect verse 3 with the next section of the psalm. In verse 3, Moses prays, You, that is God, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Here Moses echoes the Lord's words to Adam in Genesis 3:19 after the first sin, after the fall. The Lord says to Adam, for you are dust, and to the dust you will return. So when Moses prays, you return man to the dust, He is already making clear that our fleeting lives are not simply a matter of that's the way God designed the universe. That is not the way that God's original design was. The reason why we return to dust, the reason why our lives here on earth are fleeting, is because of human sin and almighty God's just judgment upon our sin. There is an interesting a- ambiguity in this verse. This ambiguity arises with the word return in the second line. Right in the first line, it's the Lord that's returning us to the dust. But in the second line, the Lord could simply be repeating this return to the dust, O children of man. But this command could just as reasonably be rendered repent. Return and repent of the same idea. Repent, O children of Adam. Recognize who I am as your God. Recognize both your sinfulness and the fleeting natures of your lives and be turned to me. While it's rare for such ambiguities to be intentional in narrative literature, they're actually very common in poetry. Poetry. And I I think that Moses actually wants us to see both ideas. That yes, God is returning us to the dust, but he's also warning us about the fleetingness of life so that we will be turned to him, and in him we will find life. In him we will find meaning. In him our lives will matter forever. The next section, verses 7-11 Further develop the reasons why human life is both fleeting and painful. Human life is not fleeting and painful because that is the way the Lord created us. If Adam had remained faithful to God, Adam and Eve would have lived forever. In fact, there is really good supposition that they would have been confirmed in their righteousness. They had passed the prohibition, uh, the um, probation test that they were undergoing. They would have been confirmed firmed in their righteousness, and they would have been glorified to live forever. Human life is fleeting and painful because of the Lord's judgment upon our rebellion. I summarize this section by saying God is holy, man is sinful. Uh, those things are incredibly obvious. They're also things that our culture is busily trying to ignore, we're trying to normalize sin so that it's no longer a stench of the nostrils of Almighty God. It's just the way we are. And therefore, we're watering down God's holiness and trying to turn him into something like a doting grandfather figure. But that has nothing to do with the God who actually is. Verses 7 through 11. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength eighty, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger? and your wrath according to the fear of you. This doesn't really require any explanation. What it does require is application to how you're going to live tomorrow. If we forget that suffering and death is the result of sin, we will go through life repeatedly thinking, that's not fair. If we remember that suffering and death is the result of our own rebellion against God, that we are sinful, then we will see every sunrise, every opportunity to hold the hand of someone we love, every opportunity to make a difference for good in this world for what it is, the gracious gift of our loving Father in heaven. So far, we have looked at two of the three simple but foundational truths of this psalm. First, God is eternal, and human life is fleeting. Second, God is holy, yet man is sinful. The obvious question is, how should we live in light of these truths? Right. That's the question you need to be asking yourself. How should I live in light of these truths? Moses answers that question as he prays in verse 12. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Now, numbering our days isn't so much about counting them. It's about making them count. It's about paying attention to the fact that our days are fleeting. And we can't just, you know, throw one away after another and not do any damage to what we're meant to accomplish here on earth. Moses is asking the Lord to cause us to truly understand that he is eternal and holy, to know that we are finite and sinful, so that we will spend our lives wisely rather than wasting them. And so he pleads with God in verse 13, Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. It's interesting that in verse 3, The Lord returns us to the dust and perhaps is calling us to return to him. Now Moses, in response, is calling upon God and saying, Lord, would you return to us and refresh us with your presence? Three quick points. First, while this call for mercy may appear abrupt, we should remember that the psalm begins with an affirmation of faith. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Right, This is not a call that comes out of the blue. Second, we should take note that this is not a plea for God to show mercy to humanity in general. Moses is praying that the Lord will turn and show mercy to his servants, that is, to his own people. If you leave here this evening... Thinking of Almighty God as a doting grandfather or a cosmic Santa Claus who simply smiles kindly at everyone, then you will have missed the whole point of this psalm. Remember, God is holy. Man is sinful. God's mercy and grace are both personal and particular. They are poured out richly on all who are united with Jesus Christ by faith, and they are given to no one else. If you will not follow Jesus Christ as a disciple in this present age, you most assuredly will not enjoy his blessings now, not in this age or in the age to come. Third, verses 12 and 13 mark off a dramatic turning point in the psalm. Apart from the blessing that the Lord is a dwelling place for his people in verse 1, the first two sections of the psalm would appear to be bad news for us. God is eternal and holy. We are finite and our lives are quickly fleeing away. God is holy. We are sinful. At first blush, that would appear to be bad news. But by God's grace a grace and mercy which Moses knows that the Lord gives to his people, the psalm turns to a beautiful series of requests. And I just want to encourage you to take these requests right out of the psalm and to insert them into your own prayer life that you would make these requests of your God throughout the coming week. As we consider these requests from Moses' lips, we ought not simply to admire them We ought to put them into practice in our own lives. Verse 14, Moses prays, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Now the truth, of course, is everyone wants to find satisfaction in life, Christians and non-Christians alike. Yet everything other than God will ultimately leave you less than fully satisfied. As St. Augustine so beautifully put it, in a prayer, by the way, Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. The pivot that this verse takes is important to grasp. Moses is not merely claiming that the eternal and holy God is morally good. Through his own example in this prayer, Moses is making clear that the Lord is his delight. It's not simply the box we check off and go, yeah, God is good. Moses is saying, I delight in you, O Lord, that the Lord is a delight to those who fear him. Consider the beautiful words that we sing in Psalm 63. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Right? The Lord's steadfast love is better than life. In verse 15, Moses continues, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Um, There's a certain balance to this request. Moses is acknowledging that the people of God have seen much evil and calamity. And beloved, you read your Bible, you realize this is a promise for you. This is not just a description of life back in the days of Moses. If you live for any years at all, you will experience evil and calamity and hardship in this world. Jesus himself promises us that in this world, we will have tribulation but Moses lifts up this reality to God acknowledging that the people of God have seen much evil and calamity and he is praying that the Lord would at least balance that out by causing his people to be glad for as many days as we are afflicted if you think about the fact that God is holy and we are sinful that is a rather bold request to make of God But as you read the entire Bible, you discover that it's nothing like what God does. Almighty God does not simply balance out the hardships you face with a balancing amount of blessings. The Apostle Paul would describe the imbalance of God nearly 1,500 years later. Paul writes, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, Now, some of you are here tonight in the midst of great pain and hardship and suffering and disappointment. God cares about all those things. But I have some wonderful news for you. The Lord is not simply going to balance out your suffering with an equal amount of blessing. Our God is far more gracious than that. The Lord who in Christ has become your eternal home is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison so that when you contemplate that, and certainly when you experience that, you will look back on the sufferings of this life just like Paul does and goes, you know, they're not even worth being mentioned. They're just such light and momentary afflictions by comparison to the gracious gift of God in Christ. Verse 16 Moses prays, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Uh, That's really a wise thing for us to pray. You know, we do live in this world walking by faith, not by sight. we, We live by trusting God by his promises. But it's a perfectly good thing to ask the Lord from time to time to give you just a glimpse of what he's doing in your life a glimpse of what a difference he's doing and making through your life as an encouragement to you to keep on in the faith. Furthermore, it's a perfectly good thing for those of us who are parents and grandparents to pray this not only for ourselves, but to ask that the Lord would reveal his glorious power not only to us, but to our children Finally, Moses concludes his prayer with verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Uh, I guess you could divide this into two petitions, but I think it's actually only one. But is when Moses is asking the Lord to let his favor be upon us. He, he's seeing that favor precisely as the Lord's favor in establishing the work of our hands. Now, if you haven't already heard this psalm so many times, um, that might actually surprise us. We might expect Moses to finish the psalm by praying, Lord, would you establish the work of your hands? And by the way, that's a perfectly good thing to pray but the Lord would establish his own works. But Moses is saying that's not the only thing that God does. Because your life matters to God, it is a right thing for you to pray that the Lord would cause the labor of your hands to be established, to bear fruit in this world and fruit for the age that is to come. Your life Matters to God. And if you are united with Christ by faith, then Almighty God is committed to making your life matter, both in this present age and also in the age that is to come. Now, the honesty of this psalm, this is actually one of my very favorite psalms. The honesty of this psalm is sobering. God is eternal and holy. Man is sinful, and our lives are fleeting. Where does that leave us? And it turns out there are only two possibilities, and they are both awesome to contemplate. First, you may be listening to this psalm as someone who is not yet confessing Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior. Beloved, if that is you, you are a sinner in the hands of a holy God. Your life is quickly passing away like a watch in the night or a bit of green grass that when it's scorched is going to wither and die and you have no claim on tonight, let alone upon tomorrow. If this is where you stand this evening, then God is graciously warning you but you have no claim on the future. Um, one of the most dangerous things that you can do is to walk out of here and say, I'll deal with that later. Right, not now, but later. At some point in the future, the truth be told, most people do not waste their lives by saying never, never. They waste their lives by saying later. I'll get around to it later, and later never comes. But beloved, God is saying to you tonight that right now, this very day is the day of salvation for you. Right now is the time for you to embrace Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Savior and to follow him all the days of your life. Beloved, do not waste your life. And don't waste your your eternity either. Turn to Jesus Christ today and discover that God is more gracious and merciful than you would ever have dared to hope. But know this for certain, that grace and mercy is only for those who place their trust in Jesus Christ and therefore commit to following him. If you do that, you will join with many others here this evening in the joy of the second awesome possibility. Instead of being a sinner in the hands of an angry God, you will be a forgiven sinner in the hands of a gracious God who loves you with an everlasting love and who has given his life for you. If you do this, you will discover this present life is still painful and short. Uh, That might be disappointing to some of you, but that's the reality of the way God has structured salvation. Trusting Jesus does not keep life from being painful and short, but that through it, the Lord is laying up for you an eternal weight of glory. If you do this, you will discover that even in this present life, the Lord gives his children the joy of knowing him and of resting in his steadfast love. If you do this, you will discover the profound fulfillment that comes with knowing that your life right now counts forever and that you can pray in the confidence that the Lord will establish the work of your hands. If you do this, you will discover that the Lord himself has become your steadfast and eternal home. Amen.